I really think that today we, we start a, a festival that's going to be concluded next weekend. As you came through the door today, you got your reminder of next weekend. It's going to be uh, three wonderful things take place. One, it's going to be our, our 25-year anniversary. That's exciting since we started City Harvest Church. And uh, we actually didn't start on August 28th. We started on September 7th. But uh, we felt with Labor Day and everything else that this would be better to push it forward a week. And that's when we went public at Sacagawea Elementary on September 7th, 1997. And uh, we're going to be celebrating, you know, all that God did uh, with our journey of faith. And if you were really a part of our church, uh, let's just say the first month of September 1997. Could you just stand if you're still with us? Amen. Could you just stand? There's a few of you. God bless you guys. Many have forsaken me, but you guys stood with me. No, no I'm teasing. God moves people on. It's exciting. And we're also going to be having all our church plant pastors in town, and, and uh, it's going to be a big reunion. We're having a retreat with them before that weekend. Saturday night, the 27th, we're going to be installing uh, Pete Schrader and uh, as the lead pastor, praying over he and Tamar, just blessing them and putting them into that place of leading us in our in and uh, what God has put on their hearts. And I wrote to you this week that uh, the confirmation vote was uh, in, and by majority confirmation, uh, you have chosen Pete Schrader to be our new lead pastor. Could you congratulate Pete? And, uh, and, that's exciting. And uh, now he'll be officially installed on Saturday night when myself and the elders will be laying hands on him and uh, laying hands on he and Tamar. And uh, we're believing God is going to bring a great impartation. And uh, that's going to happen Saturday night. Sunday night, there's going to be an appreciation thing for Sue and I. And I can't tell you what's going on. I don't know. I'm not allowed to be in those meetings like I'm not allowed to be in a lot of meetings these days, but uh, no, I'm just teasing, but uh, no, te- a little joke on the side, but uh, I'm sure it's going to be exciting. We're looking forward to that. People are asking me how we're doing emotionally. We're, we're doing fine. We really are doing fine. We're actually uh, really needing to get moving forward in, in what God has done, uh, leading us to do in the future. I'll talk about here in, in a second. Sue and I will be taking a sabbatical once next weekend takes place, which means we're not going to be around for a while. We'll be dropping in on on an occasional Sunday, and uh, you're going to say, well, you know, you know, what are you going to be doing? You know, what, why are you doing this? Why are you taking some time off? And it'll be probably six, seven months that we're going to do that. We're going to come back sometime in the spring. Uh, there's a couple of reasons I want to just lay out. First is for rest and retooling. I've worked hard for 25 years, and I have, and so has Sue, and uh, carried a lot of burdens, and just given us a time just to really just take five. It's not just we do a job where we kind of put things together, or we nail some studs together, and I love, I wish I was a carpenter, I greatly appreciate them, and build something, and here it is. We, we carry the pain of a lot of people, and we've carried a lot of pain for 25 years, and burdens, and situations, and and processing criticisms, and it just comes with the territory, and all those things, and we just need to get ourselves renewed and, uh, and also taking that time to get ourselves retooled for what God wants us to do in the future. And uh, that would be the second thing. We need to really retool ourselves to what the Lord is asking us to do next. And uh, uh, that involves the third thing. It gives me time to build. One of the, one of the things that will give me time to do is to build my uh, new nonprofit called His Church. And we are officially been endorsed by the state of Washington as a nonprofit. I'm trying to get 501c3 status with the IRS. And uh, every time I fill out a form, they keep giving me more forms to fill out. But so is bureaucracy. Amen. And, uh, and uh, we're doing all that. Sue is my treasure. Isn't she just a great treasure? And, uh, and we just... Until I get that, I have not opened a bank account, and I can, but I want to wait till I can start taking offerings, and uh, the church has worked with us in this pre-season of doing that. But also, the reason I'm doing this is to give Pete and Tamar 
a time to connect with the church without suicide being a distraction or a hindrance. And it's not like we have an attitude issue. I don't think we have an attitude issue, but just it's the nature of the, it's the nature of the thing. And this is kind of an ethical practice, really, in a lot of transitions, just to take a leave of absence, kind of like that, and a sabbatical, just so that the the, the new team can you know, kind of take control and move forward. You don't want to have a new football coach come in, head football coach with the old head coach right there while you're trying to build a new system. It just, it just doesn't work. So uh, we want to give them time to do that. And then, uh, you know, we're, what, what are you going to be doing, you know, like on Sundays? We're going to visit a, a lot of churches. Uh, one of the things we're going to do, we're going to still drop in here probably once a month, and you'll see us. We want to be here specifically for Isaac and Noel's send-off to uh, Detroit, Dearborn area, and uh, we've been very much a part of that journey, and we want to be here that day. But we're visiting churches, you know, I, I want to see our cousins at Manor House. I haven't been in a Sunday morning service at what was Bible Temple City Bible Manor House in, in 25 years. It's been 25 years since I've been in a service, and those are, you know, those are my, my peeps that sent me out, and they want to go see Mark Darrell and just see what they're doing over there. We're going to, uh, I want to go see Bethesda. You know, uh, Ben and Tisha, I was their youth pastor and actually performed their wedding. And I know that when the time they birthed it, there was some tension between the houses kind of a thing in that. Dick Iverson always said the birthing process is always messy. But I'm actually fairly impressed, not fairly, I'm impressed that, of, of, that they've survived. You know, not everybody, everyone can get out of the chute, not everybody can survive. And they're, they seem to be moving forward, and I want to make sure they know I want to bless them and encourage them. I want to see Daniel Fusco at Crossroads and Chris Kainu at Vancouver Church, who's a very good friend of mine. I have a lot of friends in this area. I go up and see The Promise, and, and uh, you know, Brian Davenport and of, of Heritage Church, he works out with us at the CrossFit Gym. We've developed a good friendship over the last few years. And so I have a number of guys. Of course, we're going to go see the bridge, uh, and uh, excuse me, Bridgetown, not the bridge, the Bridgetown, where, where two of my kids are going and, and thriving. I'm really encouraged about where, where, how they're growing in Christ. And so there's a lot of places to go and, um, uh, and to, just to see the body of Christ that I haven't had a chance to see locally. And, and I want to do that. Of course, we'll be traveling and everything else. I joke with people that I'm going from a full-time job and a part-time job, a part-time being MFI, to four part-time jobs. I'm going to go to four part-time jobs. When I come back, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a part-time pastor under Pete's leadership. Uh, you know, I'm doing MFI. I'm doing his church. I travel, do my seminar and speaking. I'm like a guy with four part-time jobs. And, uh, and so don't use the word retirement for me because I don't feel very retired. And uh, I got a lot of energy, vision, and uh, I, until God just takes my virtue or shuts the door, I'm going to keep pushing forward uh, to try to fulfill his will. And so is Sue. And, you know, Sue's going to do a podcast, and she's got some things that she's going to do. And uh, she's my right-hand girl in life and love her dearly. 44 years we've been married. Isn't that exciting? Amen. 44 years. So here we be. Here we be. I, you know, I went into the room, what we call the strategy room, and uh, we have a big giant ink board there. It's on wheels. And I uh, took a dry ink eraser and a, and a, and a pen and uh, with a blank. What do, what do I want to say? Just stood there and spent the morning in there. Just, I just, Lord, I want you to drop something in my heart of what you want me to say. And this is what I've come up with. I want to talk to you about 12 desires of a man you called pastor. These are going to be in the, these are going to be in the forms of imperatives or, or charges. They're all going to be second person, you, that I want to just leave with you. I will preach again at this pulpit. I, I mean, I have full faith that Pete and I's relationship can't be broken, and he's going to trust me to come up to the pulpit here from time to time to speak. And, but this is the last time I'm going to charge you as the guy that started the church as the father of this house. When this was nothing, this was in here. And because of that, I want to give you a charge of things that are very, very close to my heart that I want to leave with you. The first is this, know God. You know, the Apostle Paul said this, I want to know Christ. It's interesting, he didn't say, I want to be the most famous apostle of the first century. You know, there are leaders today that are like, I want to build the biggest church in America. 
We had one that did that, and it fell all apart, and they almost became the biggest church in America, but it blew up. I mean, I've watched a lot of very famous people that built big things blow up, blow up overnight, and they, blowed, they blew up, and it was just, it was a disastrous. He didn't say, I want to I wanna build the biggest ministry in the first century. He says, I want to know Christ, and he said, yes. To know and to know Christ, he defines what that is. To know Christ, you've got to know the power of his resurrection working in your life. And to know the power of his resurrection working in your life, you're going to have to become a participant uh, in his suffering. You've got to participate, participation in his sufferings if you're going to understand the power of Christ working in you when you're weak. And then here it gets worse, becoming like him, in his death. I've said this to you many times. I'm going to be like a broken record. I'm going to say it to you again. God only raises what kind of people? Dead people. If I'm just in a hospital and I got the flu, you really can't say I was raised from the dead. You know, I was, ra- I was, I was, I was healed of the flu, but I wasn't raised from the dead. When you're dead, you're dead. When you're in a situation, you can't, you can't move the mountain and no one knows where you're at. You're kind of forgotten and you're left, you're left by the wayside and only God knows and God gets you completely out of that thing that you couldn't get yourself out of. You experience the resurrection of his power. To know Jesus, you gotta know Jesus in those three areas. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, Come on, we suffer with Christ. You don't have to look for it. Don't be morbid, okay? It, it'll find you. Don't worry about it. It'll find you. And the last is death to self. You got to know what it is to be conformed to the likeness of his death. And whether you're a new follower here or you captain over new, you know, first impressions team or you're a prophet or a teacher, we want to be lovers of Jesus. We don't want to be users of Jesus, Amen. Well, he blesses us. He blesses us, but, he, but he's not all about blessing. He wants to heal and he wants to restore us, but he wants to heal and restore us to equip us to, to do his work. He doesn't heal you to heal you. He heals you to use you. He wants to use us, but, but being used does not take the place of relationship with him. In fact, John 15 tells us that you cannot You cannot be used by God unless you're connected in relationship with him. It's the vine and the branches metaphor that Jesus used in John 15. It's predicated upon relationship. You know, Paul reveals to us that this knowing has to do with sharing with things that Jesus suffered. Things like opposition, warfare, yielding of your rights, death to self, I mean, all those things that Jesus had to go through, we get to share with them. And and do I just go out and try to make those things happen? Don't do that. Go out and enjoy life, as you're going to hear at the end of this sermon. But but in the midst of that, you're going to have situations that are going to call you to die. And you're going to have situations if, if you're going to have to give up your rights. You're going to have situations where you're going to experience this thing called spiritual warfare. Would you agree with me that there is some evil out there? Now, in our culture, because we want to become so secularized, we want to divorce this thing that there is a personality called Satan, and there's this evil that's just unexplainable that's taking place, that's bizarre things take place in our life. We live in an evil world. Paul described this in Galatians 1 as his present evil age, and that means we face opposition, We face warfare. We face resistance. We face things that we can't even explain. Come on, but Jesus is in the middle of that. Now, we have a, because we're so secular, we have developed a a really a false modern spirituality. What do you mean? We've developed a spirituality where no God's involved in it. Really, that's Buddhism. If you really want to know what Buddhism is, it's a secular form of trying to be spiritual to get into a place of absolute non-existence. Okay, it is, it is, it is, it is, is, it, 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 there's no God, but I'm spiritual. I'm a, all these Hollywood people, well, I'm really spiritual. Because that means they do something of self-focus or something. It doesn't mean they have a relationship with God. The other thing about modern spirituality, it doesn't require you to die to yourself. It's all about your self-focus and your self-building up and your self-this and your self-that and your self-care. Look at all the magazines we have, the magazine rack. It's all about us. 
It's not requiring you to die to yourself. So if we die to our, well, I want to become like Jesus, I got to say, not my will, but your will be done. Amen? Amen. So know God. The second thing is this. Give yourself to what God is doing in the earth. Give yourself to what God is doing in the, in the earth. You know, Christianity is really not about self-help and, uh, or self-improvement or self-care and achievement. And I'm all, I'm all for those things. We do need to take care of ourselves. We all need to help ourselves and improve ourselves. I, I get that. But it's about joining God and what he's doing in the earth. Just, I know, I got, uh, for instance, I got Lori Barth here. She works in a Christian bookstore. I don't want to be too heavy on Christian bookstores today. But if you go to a Christian bookstore and just test me if I'm wrong, find out the percentage of the books that are about the great purpose of God, about the great cause of Christ, about the things that are very much upon God's heart and what is commonly known these days in theology is the missio Dei, the mission of God. And how much is just about what God can do for you? It's not that those books are wrong. They're not wrong at all. Sometimes it's just the emphasis is imbalanced. Give yourself to what God is doing in the earth. I can't say I want to become like Christ or I want to be a follower of Christ and become indifferent to what God is doing in the earth. Look what Jesus said about himself. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work God is working. When we're sitting here, he's working in hearts here today. He's working out in the streets out there. He's working at some bar, some pretty, maybe having a, trying to put a hangover, you know, you know, a little remedy together. He's, he's working in their heart. He's working at the barista you got a coffee from this morning. He's always at work. The Father is at work to this very day. And Jesus says, I too am working. He works and I work with him. Jesus gave them this answer. Truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can, only, he, he, can only, he can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does now. And so the father is preparing hearts for you to place the seed of the gospel in that heart. The, the father is opening doors to nations for us, for you. He's opening schools. He's opening cities. He's opening neighborhoods. He's opening jobs where your influence is going to be. The Father is at work in the hearts of people. You got to run around and say, oh, there's a pre-Christian. There's a pre-Christian. There's a pre-Christian. Oh, oh, these heathen these days. These progressives these days. These liberals these days. Ah, these guys. MSNBC and ah. Guess what? There are harvest fields. Don't say to them, I hate you, but I got to reach you. Come on, God so loved the world that he did what? While we were yet sinners, what did Christ do? Yeah, they are sought ones. When the one sheep left the fold, come the shepherd goes after the one. God is seeking them out. You don't find Jesus, he finds you. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve weren't seeking God. They were hiding with their own fig leaves, their own form of spirituality. Where are you? I've come to find you. When he came after us. Christianity is the only religion in the world where, they, where the, 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 the God of that religion came after his creation. His creation is not on pilgrimages trying to find him. He came after you and he came after me. And he's going after people. So, Father, what are you doing that I, what are you working? What are you doing that I need to connect with? He's got divine appointments for you that he wants you to connect with. Well, we need to be on mission. You leave today, you got to say, Father, what are you doing? And how do I flow with what you're doing? The third, the third desire of mine is this. Just tell you to practice humility. Practice humility? You're the humble or not. No, you can practice humility. Here's what Philippians 2 and 3 says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's how you can practice humility. Just don't do things out of selfish ambition. Don't do things out of vain conceit that somehow you're going to be king of the hill. You know, people ask me superlative questions all the time. Like, Bob, what is your favorite movie? And what is your favorite food? Who is your favorite preacher? 
Who's your favorite musician? Who's your favorite person in the church? You're all my favorite people in the church. You know, I, I, don't, I don't answer superlative questions. I, I have one superlative question. Who's your favorite you know, person of history? It's Jesus Christ. Who's your favorite person now? It's Jesus Christ. That can get a superlative, but everything else, no. Don't be involved in vain conceits. The mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest, right, of them all? Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Now, that's a, that's a mandate to you and to me. You've got to practice this daily. Practice putting others before you. Practice standing in the back of the line. Practice listening to others over your own opinion. We are impressed with our opinion. But be impressed with their opinion. Uh, practice serving. Practice blessing others instead of your own agenda. Practice serving needs. Practice. Just constantly practice putting other people above yourself in every little area. The fourth imperative I want to give you, my charge to you is this. Value all people. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22 and 23 says this. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. You ever had a little, an injury in a little area I hardly even knew about and how it just affected everything else in your body? I mean, give, give honor to the weaker because they seem to be indispensable, but they're not indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. You know, people, people want to know, do you know I exist? You ever been in a conversation with one or two or three people, and you can just tell your words kind of fall into the ground like, I am boring them? You ever had that feeling, I'm boring them in this conversation? They would rather be doing something. They're very distracted, and obviously we're not engaging real well, and either they got consumed with something else or they could really care less. I mean, if you're like me, I just back out real fast. I can feel it, and you know, this is not a... This is not a conversation I want to continue in because I don't think they're really, really that interested in it. And when people need to know that they're valuable, do you feel that I have something to offer you? That's what people want to feel. Do people feel that, do you care about my opinion? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or do you really want to listen to that opinion? Do you feel I'm important? Come on, he Hebrews, the book of Hebrews tells us this that Jesus tasted death for every person. Every person he tasted death for. That means everyone counts. Everyone has value. I told you the story, I'm going to tell it again, of my friend Frank Seychef, so I'm going to Uganda with in early September. He pastors in Toronto, Canada. He is a, a, a it's an interesting story, he's actually a Brazilian who went up to Canada and, in a long story short, found himself birthing a church up there. Hardly had citizenship or even residency, okay? But God sent him to Canada. He's building a great church. So he started off with this church with a lot of street people, a lot of homeless people. And, uh, man, it grew, and God was doing a great work. And, and uh, middle-class people started coming in, and started, he started picking up real momentum. And uh, he ran out of room, and there was a building, like, across the street that he wanted to buy. And at the time, it was going to cost $250,000 to buy that building. Or he needed $250,000 to get the church leased into the, the, into the building. He needed a quarter of a million. And uh, he didn't know how it was going to happen with all these street people and homeless people. And, you know, they were, it was a ragtag army. These, these were the less honorable, it seemed like, people to be, make up the bulk of a church. Finally, some people of substance came in, and one guy made an appointment with him and sat down with Frank, and he said, listen, um, I, I really like what you're doing. I really like what you're doing. And uh, my, I'm coming. Some of my friends are coming. It's pretty exciting. And I haven't given anything yet, but I want to give you something now because I want to sew into this thing. So he pushes this check towards Frank. Frank puts his fingers on it, brings it to himself, and it's a $25,000 check. I mean, that's the biggest little single offering he probably saw at that point particular part of the journey of his church and he goes wow he goes yeah but the guy didn't let go of the check with his fingers because I have one request you know I got a lot of people want to come to this church I know a lot of people but could you do a separate service for all those 
you know, homeless people and other people. And, and if you can do that, I know I can get all these other people to come in the church. Frank took the check, slid it back to him, and said, no, thank you. You're trying to buy me. No deal. Guy leaves the church, never comes back again. Homeless person dies in, in the church that uh, was part of the congregation. And, and uh, about a week or two later, he gets called by a lawyer. You need to come in and sign uh, uh, some documents because we have a check for us because so-and-so died. They left you 50% of their inheritance. He didn't know what it was. He goes to the lawyer's office and he signed the document. 50% of this guy's estate, of this homeless person, was $250,000. Gave him the check. Let's give honor to the less honorable because they have great value. You never know. You never know what that person's going to do for you or for the church or for the people of God. We all have value. The fifth charge I want to give you is this, is love the poor. You know, it says in Psalm 140, verse 12, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. You know, when we started City Harvest Church, when our, we had our launch date from Bible Temple at the time was August 17th. 1997, and of course, a number of the elders ministered over us, gave us prophetic words about what God is going to do with this church, and really, all those words really came to pass, all of them. And uh, but I'll never forget one was from Mark Estes, who's now the pastor of what is called Mana House today, that was formerly Bible Temple, and he said, "You will, this church will be the heart of Jesus to the poor of Vancouver." And if you remember. Back our first five, six years, we were radical in giving to the needy. We probably did, in our first five or six years, we probably did a million dollars of product distribution to the needy of this particular county. And it wasn't just a drop or run. We were in the apartments with them. We were, we were serving them. I could go on and 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 on the outreaches that took place here, not just the first five, six years, in the last 25 years, that have blessed so many different people. And... Uh, <clears throat> the heart of Jesus. When we dedicated this building in 2000, Dick Iverson, my father in the faith, was our speaker. And he said these words, if we forget the poor and what we're doing, God will lift his favor off of this church. So this is, this is more than just me sharing this. This is a generational apostolic mandate of this. And so sometimes we, we say, you know, why, why, why is God so concerned about the poor. Let me just give you four quick thoughts here. Why God's so concerned about the poor. The first is this. He values everyone, just like I said. Come on, he's not more impressed with a successful entrepreneurial entrepreneur who started some great businesses doing good. He's not impressed with him more than a penniless beggar. He doesn't, he doesn't value one person above the other. God, the second thing is God never really forgets any of us. He never forgets. I mean, sometimes, you know, the poor become invisible to us, but they do not become invisible to God. It's easy just to shut out people, and people are suffering. And, and I know each of us have to make our own individual conscience what we will do as we encounter poverty sometimes all around us. But, but at the same time, we can dismiss things that God never dismisses. The third is that God is moved by our suffering. Remember in Luke, I think it's in chapter 14, I could be wrong on, on Luke 14, it could be 12 or 13 in there, but Luke is, but Jesus is, 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 comes across a, a, the widow of Nain where her son is dead and she's, there's a funeral procession and the Bible says Jesus seeing the woman was moved with compassion and he raised her son from the dead, but he was moved with compassion. Everyone wants to be used in signs and wonders, but you got to first be moved with compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. You got to put yourself in their shoes. You got to weep with them. You got to feel it. It's got to do something in your heart that moves you. We, are, we have to be moved. God is, God is moved by the plight and the suffering of those who are poor. 
And the fourth is this, that God wants justice. Now, justice means fairness. And uh, the poor are vulnerable. The poor have the odds that are stacked against them. And it's not that, that God cares for the poor more than he cares for the middle class or, or cares more for the poor than he does the wealthy. God just simply has their backs. I mean, that's, that's, who, God, that's, what, uh, that's who God is. Now, I did the craziest thing the first time in 25 years. I forgot my Bible coming to church today. So I opened my smartphone here. But listen to Psalm 10, verse 14. But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. God loves poor people because poor people are vulnerable. And so many things can take place that won't take place to you and I because they are vulnerable, and he wants justice. The sixth thing is this, become a covenant believer. A covenant believer. Listen to this. After David had finished talking with Saul, this is right after he basically kills Goliath, cuts off Goliath's head. I mean, the, you know, the story, you got to get the full R-rated version of David and Goliath. Okay, he doesn't just nail the guy between his eyes. And remember a slingshot uh, uh, individual soldier in those days. It was like shooting a 45 Magnum. That, that was, you just go on YouTube and watch guys with slingshots and how fast that rock, I mean, that rock is going and how accurate they are. But it's like getting your head, a bullet right through your brain. When he nailed, he nailed, he nailed Goliath. But he just didn't nail him with a slingshot. He came up and grabbed Goliath's sword. I mean, David, David was a stud. He was ripped. He was defined. He had 17-inch biceps. I mean, the guy's a stud. <laughs> Grabs the Goliath's sword, and he cuts off his head. Okay, this is a final victory, Philistines. Guess what? This is your champion. And then he takes it as a souvenir and puts it outside of his tent. Now, that's kind of, just to give you a little picture of David and some of his appetites. All right, but... Uh, he just finished talking with Saul, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, who is heir to the throne, who is also a warrior. He became one in spirit with David. I mean, I like this, David. We are one in the spirit with each other. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan... He makes a covenant with David, not out of some coercion, but because he so loved him and his spirit was united with him. And with David, because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Why is, why is Jonathan doing that? Jonathan is heir to the throne, and Jonathan is saying, even though I'm the rightful heir to the throne, the throne's gonna be yours. And I want you to know I'm going to get behind you. I'm going to live for what God's doing in you. Now, that's pretty heavy to have a relationship that God would join you with where I'm as more committed to that other person's success than my own. That's covenant relationship. Covenant relationship. You know, one of the things that I had received a prophetic word that became so true, and I just want to thank you today is that I would have a people that would stick to me like glue. And it really has. I mean, for a church of our size, what we've accomplished in 25 years is really unheard of. But it's not because of me. It's because people said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to commit to this place. Not that we asked you to stay forever. And man, come on, we're Bob and the leadership's going to go. That's where we're going to go. We're going to build this thing. We're going to sow our lives into this thing. And that's why you, you've done what you've done on that board over there. That's why you've done what's going to come and visit us here in one week of all these churches we planted. That's why you've done when people have story after story after story. You're going to see some great video footage and video stuff that Leslie's done. She was just taken back by interviews with people and their stories and how God has touched people because people made a covenant. Now, we don't ask you to do that. Jonathan did this not out of some legal thing. He did it because he loved David. His spirit was joined to him. You know, I, I think of my relationship with someone like Bill Shidler. I mean, 
Bill has known me since 1982. Actually, before I met him in the late 70s, he came to my little church. I've walked many decades with him, and it's not like, you know, we've done some official thing, but there's a, there's a bond. There's a, there's a faith in each other. There's a loyalty to each other. There's a relationship. God put that together. You really want to accomplish something? You can't be all over the place. You've got to figure out who are the people, whether they're here, you're working with them across the country and around the world. Who are the people you're building with? I'm going to build with the McKinleys. I'm not losing my relationship with Noel and Isaac. We're going to miss them in their spirit and their worship here at the church. But my heart goes with them to Detroit and Dearborn. I'm going to be with them there. I'm going to come visit them there. I'm joining up people on that side of the country to help them and to get connected with them. Come on, this is our journey because we are, we are connected. And when you do that, you start accomplishing great things. Come on. It's not all over the place for your Lone Ranger. It's, we, we're synergizing. We're using all our gifts, all our resources to make this happen. The seventh thing that I want to say this is worship extravagantly. Come on, Psalm 103, verse 1. Come on, praise the Lord, my soul. Here's what I want you to focus on. All my inmost being. Everyone say all. All, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Here it is. Worship is not for some. It's for all. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Not just, wow, look how excited those young people are. Aiden jumping all over the place like that. Man, that's good. Oh, look how Isaac's passionate. Well, oh, look at so-and-so. They just raise their hands. Their tears going. I just appreciate that. It just does so much just watching them. We're all to be, we're all to worship. We're all to give ourselves to him. In fact, I want you just, if you would, I'd like you to stand to your feet real quick. Oh, really? Are we done? No, you're not. I'll sit you back down. <laughs> Let's stand up for a second. Remember this. What is in you comes out of you. And what is not in you won't come out of you. So if Jesus is in my heart, if you believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus and you confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead. Come on, my heart and my confession, they go together. My heart and my worship go together. You may not sing real well. You might not be an extrovert or expressive. You might have a real stoic personality. I get that. But there's no option on worship. So I'm going to lead you to a little song. We're going to sing Acapulco here. <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy Sing that again. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Just raise your hands this time. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now just sing your own song to him right now. Let's praise on. Raise your voice to him right now. Oh, we bless you, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, we honor you, O oh Lord. We praise the name of Jesus on the throne. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Jesus, 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 be blessed. 
blessed and honored in my life, oh Lord. Oh, 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 oh Lord. Mm. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Back around 2001. We had a small little ensemble up here, probably five or six musicians. I remember Dave Williams was on the flute. I remember Wade Steele was on the keyboard. Somebody else was on guitar. I forget who was on drums that day. And we started worshiping just like that. We got done. The synthesizer was still playing, but all of a sudden, a trumpet starts playing. I mean, a full-on trumpet. It was, a, it was like a marching song. Just leading them, standing in the front row, and thinking, man, Dave can really make that flute sound like a bugle or a trumpet or a cornet. And I just had this thing. There was something, I know the anointing, it, 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 it did something in my spirit. Like, whoo! I, I was like shot into the presence of God. I'm thinking, wow! At the end of the service, the whole team found me back at the sound booth. And they said, what was that? I mean, what was that? That, that was Dave. Dave, I thought you were doing something with your flute. I did nothing. Well, Wade, the synthesis. No, I did nothing. There was just something just took over in that worship. An angel must have come down and started playing the trumpet among us. You know, when we, we talk about the presence of God, there's the omnipresence of God where he's everywhere. There's the promised presence of God where two or three are gathered. I promise I'm there, even if you feel me or not. But there is the manifest presence of God where God comes and he reveals himself because he's pleased at heart's that are responding to him. We want the manifest presence of God, don't we? Pastor Pete wants the manifest presence of God. Tamar wants the manifest presence of God. The elders want a manifest presence of God. You want the manifest presence of God. I want Jesus in the house. You want to have Jesus in the house? You start worshiping extravagantly with a pure heart. You start serving extravagantly with a sacrificed life and loving people extravagantly and valuing people extravagantly and you're going to see the miracles of God. My eighth, my eighth point to you is this. Develop holy habits. It says this about Jesus. He went, he went to his... Uh, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. And this is what I want you to notice, as was his custom, or as was his habit. It says in, in Luke 5, 16, and Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. He often withdrew. There are disciplines. There are disciplines that are part of the outworking of grace that causes me to become like Jesus. Things like Bible reading, things like fasting, things like prayer, things like gathering with people, things like listening to teaching, things like applying teaching in my life, like finding your place in the church and, and serve and, and, sharing and, uh, <clears throat> and sharing Christ with other people. You know, Pastor Pete, he challenged us. He challenged us uh, about three, four weeks ago, that within the next three or four months, we were to invite five different families to our house at our table. That's a spiritual discipline, hospitality. Inviting people that may not be believers just to come and eat at the table to develop relationship with them. Come on, that's a discipline. When Jesus, we want to become like Jesus, as was his custom, as he often did these things. I want to be like Jesus. So therefore, I want to pick up the disciplines of Jesus. <laughs> we, you know, we, we kind of got in this place where I just kind of punch in and punch out once in a while at church. One, yes, there's a, I, I get it, people taking a weekend off, I understand. But let's, let's not forget the assembling of ourselves together. Let's not forget studying the Bible. Let's not forget prayer. Let's not forget fasting. Come on, let's not just kind of live this nice American lifestyle and add Jesus to it. Let's make Jesus the focus. The ninth exhortation to you is practice self-honesty. David says, but behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. 
and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You know, my pastoral observation over the year is that it's very, very difficult for people to practice self-honesty. And the way that they see, see themselves sometimes is not the way the people that, 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 that are observing them and interacting with them, it's the way they see them. And I've had this happen so many situations. We, we did these 360s here a few years ago, especially with the staff. And you had to have people all around your life evaluate you so that I could see myself through their eyes, not my eyes. We got to practice truth in the inmost heart. We got to practice self-honesty, where I need to grow, who I need to become. I mean, a number of years ago, I played a trick on MFI pastors. Dick Iverson knew about it. He wanted me to write a case study where they kind of talk about a case uh, uh, that, of a situation. And I wrote a ca- my own case. I was having problems with my eldership when I first got out of the gate. This is after Bill and, and, and Dick Iverson stepped down. And so I kind of wrote about this. I was, I was Jim Bishop. That, that was the name. I, and I had the... I had the I, I did, I, I concealed this from my elders. I did this. And, and I talked about some of the conflicts we were having. And, uh, and it was interesting. There were a lot of guys at these regionals across the country that when they, they, they looked at me, half of them felt like I was disqualified to be a lead pastor. And then half of them felt that the eldership was disqualified. And what I found, and, and one, I got to be in one of, the, one of the discussions, and Dick Iverson told me, you better not be in here. This could be really hard on you. I said, no, I think it's really funny. And why I thought it was funny, because no one was practicing self-honesty. No one was being honest about what they go through, what they psychologically deal with, okay, what they, what some of the insecurities that they had. Okay, I was just throwing mine right out of the table. And we got to practice self-honesty. This is where I do pretty good. This is where I do good. This is where I'm not doing real good. Just the end. This is where I'm victorious. This is where I'm not victorious. It is what it is. We're in, we're in process. We haven't arrived. We're growing, Amen. We're going from glory to glory. So just be real about your stuff. Be real in your heart before God. Man, I want a real relationship with Jesus. How about you? Okay, to do that, I got to be real. This is where I'm at, Lord. This is my heart. I know I failed you. I I know that I need to get, I need to grow. I know I didn't like that statement that was made. It pushed some buttons in here. You got to be real with God. Be full of faith. I know we react to, you know, hyper faith people. That's all you got to, you know, name and claim it and blab it and grab it. And, you know, they're always kind of putting you down. You don't have enough faith. They can become obnoxious. But I want to I wanna say this. Here's the truth. That pass, passively just saying your will be done is not faith. It's determinism. Now, there's places where the scripture's not clear, where, yeah, Lord, whatever you want to do. A lot of situations we face, we just can't tag a scripture to it. But when God has revealed his heart, and he's revealed his purpose, revealed his promise, you got to contend. You got to seek him. You know, you know Muslims, they, 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 do, they do the, the Allah wills thing. Everything's Allah wills. The, the building caved in, Allah willed it. Person got ran over by a car, Allah willed it. I mean, it's just, everything's just determinism. Okay, passively just kind of submitting to that. We don't want to passively just to submit. We want to confront evil. Now, you know, what, what happens, people ask, first I want to read the scripture, and without faith it's impossible to please him for, for whoever would, would draw near to God must believe that he exists. He exists, and he does what? He rewards he exists and he rewards. He rewards those who seek him. And uh, why, why does God reward those who seek him? Because God is, because God is, is responding to us honoring his character. Uh, what would you do if someone came up to you and just said, you know, I know you won't do what you said because you're a liar. How would that affect you? We do that all the time to God. I know he said it, I don't, I don't buy it. Well, you're saying you're a liar. Your, your character is not trustworthy. <laughs> but we want God to respond to us, even though I just call him a liar. Now, Bob, you know, what happens if you, seek, if you seek God for something and it doesn't take place? 
it doesn't take place. But that's the wrong question. The wrong question, will things take place if I just am passive and just say whatever? My answer is no. My answer is no. Now I recognize God's in sovereign. I can be in a horrible place and he can just come through with his grace. But don't camp on that. But I just passively don't exercise faith. And it's just whatever he wants. You're going to find yourself coming short of a lot of things God wants to do through your life. This church will find itself short, what God wants to do through this church. He who, my, my Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he is and that he rewards. Next one. Number 11. Speak grace. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt. You know, there's a, there are some people who pride themselves for being real. And the only thing I can say to them, they're, they're real mean. They're real hurtful. They're real. Appreciate you're real. You're just not real kind. You're just not real loving. Oh, you sound like it is. Well, you are, but you're being mean. Just because I say something's correct doesn't mean it's the correct time to say something. Just say I say something correct doesn't mean how I said it was correct. Come on, I need to have words that come out of my mouth, and you need to have words coming out of your mouth that basically build people up, cheer people up, stir people up. And if they don't walk away cheered up, built up, and stirred up, then something was wrong with my words and how I came across that way. You can be truthful and stir people up. You can be real and stir people up. But you can also be real and break people. You can add to wounds. You can discourage. You can be mean. Bible says let your speech be always gracious and be seasoned with salt. And the 12th thing. Enjoy the blessings of God. But Ecclesiastes, which is a difficult book to, to sometimes decipher, what did it say? Light is sweet, and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Let them rejoice. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man. In your youth, come on, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart. In other words, what's he saying? Go after it. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all. Go after life. Go after experiences. But what, what he tells us here, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. But we will still give an account for what we did with our life. But that doesn't mean to serve God with morbidity. Paul didn't preach what's called asceticism. He says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Jesus obviously enjoyed life. He went, his first miracle was at a wedding. He provided them wine. He said that for all my Pentecostal friends. He, he turned water into wine. Okay, he probably did the Jewish dances. He probably was having a great feast. He was probably enjoying the festivities. It was Jesus that was accused of being a glutton and a wine-bibber. It was John the Baptist who was accused of having a demon. But they both played their part. God may call us to do some aesthetic things sometimes with real denial and because of part of a ministry because God called us to that. But enjoy life. Serve the Lord with gladness. When I was first a Christian, I was just deny yourself, don't buy anything, live a tough life, fast often, dig in, just serve the church, witness to people, and there was plus nothing else. No TV, no movies, no this, no that. Just go, 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 go. And I'll never forget when Dick Iverson first met me, and I'm just kind of sharing with him, and this is my dream, this is what I want to do. It was interesting what he said to me. He goes, Bob, I, I believe that we're supposed to enjoy life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 and when I was and when I was raising my children, 
I recognized, I recognized that I, there was something amiss. And this is when Julia was about four or five years old. There was something wrong with the way I was parenting. I was transferring that into my parenting. I'll never forget, because I, I didn't tell my children, plug your ears, children. I didn't tell my children that uh, Santa Claus was a real person. I, I went an opposite route because I felt so deceived as a kid when they finally told me at the age of 15 he wasn't real. And uh, <laughs> I was ticked off. So I, that was the way I raised. Julia's three years old. My mother-in-law comes up with my father-in-law, Sue's parents, for our first Christmas, and, you know, we're not going to do the Santa Claus thing, but we're going to do everything else in Christmas, and all of a sudden, it was Christmas Eve, and the doors, a knock, open it, and there's Santa Claus on my front porch, and it's my unsubmissive mother-in-law, and uh, I always said, whatever my mother-in-law was for, uh, God was against, but, uh, and when she thought I was doing something stupid, it was a confirmation I was in the will of God, but anyway. But uh, there, there, she, there she was, dressed like Santa Claus, like no one I've ever seen dressed like Santa Claus. You know, square little bifocals on the end of her nose. And, is there a Julia McGregor here? Ho, ho, ho. And Julia's eyes are like this big. And here I am, ticked off. I mean, I'm just, I am ticked off. You know, so after all done, after she gave Julia her 50 gifts, and, uh, you know, I, I put Julia to sleep. Now, you know that that wasn't real. You understand that was real, yeah. I mean, I was horrible. I was horrible. And I recognized I was killing my kid's spirit. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is what? Yeah. And God should be fun. God should be fun. The Bible says, go after these things. Come on, you see your eyes to see the sun, and you just go after them. It's pleasant to the eyes. Rejoice in them all. Go and do these things. But just remember, that's not what your life is completely about. It's about serving Jesus with all your heart. But in the midst of it, enjoy life. So if you're married, enjoy your bride. Enjoy your husband. Enjoy your spouse. Not a bad-looking couple 90,000 years ago. Come on, enjoy them. 44 years later. Come on, go to places with them. Have fun. And on top of that, as you're serving Jesus, enjoy your family. Get crazy, crazy kids. Look at that. I got to turn over. I heard it was a little discreet. I wasn't supposed to put that picture up there, but Sue decided to put something in the hot tub, and it was just, it was horrible. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Do crazy things like do crazy workouts with them and go to football games with them. And come on, do life. And go to exotic places with your people that you love. See the things that God created. I mean, this is Machu Picchu. I gave that to my, set, my sister. It's her 70th birthday and a retirement gift from me. I took her to her life dream to go see Machu Picchu. Tried to be a, just a good brother to her. We had a great time up there, even though we had altitude sickness. It was a great time. <laughs> see the world. You know, you may not be able to get into another country. See America. See the state of Washington. See, go, go see the world and enjoy what God has created us. And then all that, do this, love food. Yes. Love food. Come on. Come on. Come on, I love this. It was a hell of a fry. It really was. I put this up there. Put this up there for Brad Hunter. All right. He's vegetarian. Okay, just to tease him. Enjoy food. It's all good. And love the church of Jesus. This lady that you see on the far right of this picture, if you're staring at it, is that she just converted out of Islam, probably in her 80s, to Christ. This is the uttermost part of the world. This is in Tajikistan. Love the church. Give your life to it. Love it wherever you are and wherever it is. It's his church. It's his church. It's his people. And in all of that, just know this, that God will bless your life. But do it with joy.
Don't, don't be morbid. Do it with joy. The worship team, come on up here. I know. Bye.